0: Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information about our ministries, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And a very warm welcome to you to Leper Sunday here at Calvary St. George's. And so uh, uh, the time of year when we celebrate leprosy. But uh, no, um... Uh, Today, uh, we're actually beginning a four-week stewardship season uh, entitled Growing in Generosity and Rooted in God's Grace. And there'll be a lot of details about that. But this is a month uh, when we invite all of you to make a financial pledge for the upcoming year. And what this does, on a horizontal sense, it enables the vestry uh, uh, and myself to faithfully plan for the ministry year that lies ahead of us but on a vertical sense, which is more important, the direction towards God. What this does is that this becomes a spiritual discipline in which your faith is increased and your ability to uh, trust that God is your provider of all things uh, grows. So I want to encourage you to pray about that. Now, um, our Old Testament reading introduces us to a very powerful, powerful man, Naaman the Syrian, commanders of the army of King Aram. Naaman, we're told in the opening verses here, is uh, a man of high favor and valor, not because of his skills or prowess, or because of the gods of Syria who do not exist. No, peculiarly, we are told that Yahweh, the God of Israel, is the one who's behind Naaman's success and accomplishments. Now, from these opening verses, the author of the book of Kings, what he wants you to know is that without a shadow of a doubt, and it speaks to all of us, especially a Naaman go-getter New Yorker, what the author wants you to know today is that Naaman is a person of tremendous achievement. He's the type of guy, if you went to his office, he'd have all sorts of certificates on his wall. He's honored at so, all these sorts of banquets because he can fill like three or four tables. He is a person. Naaman typifies the very best that a natural person can accomplish in this life minus the Near Eastern warlord bit, Naaman is the type of person we all naturally want to be. And yet, and yet, Naaman is as good as dead. The author writes, though a mighty warrior, he is suffering from leprosy. Now I don't need to tell you all the things about uh, leprosy and how serious and contagious this skin disease was. However, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, leprosy represented so much more than just a horrible skin condition. Leprosy is a sign of God's judgment. Leprosy is emblematic of being outside the realm of the living. Naaman and his leprosy, why he's a member of the walking dead. And this is my first point. Many of us in this congregation, we actually know this firsthand. And I know this because I've prayed with you and I've prayed for you. Many of us know this experience. One can be so busy, especially as New Yorkers, racking up achievement After achievement, one can absolutely have everything going on in life. You may be the Naaman of your particular industry, but none of us are invincible. None of us are invincible. And when something happens health-wise, why, it enables us to realize that all of that stuff, all of that investment... Why it's ultimately irrelevant. Naaman is unclean. And this is important because this is the issue with the world in general. Because of sin, the world is unclean. We all have, in some form or fashion, been stamped with spiritual leprosy. Sin. And what Naaman, what you and I, and what the world desperately needs is a word, a word outside of ourselves, a word outside of us that has the power to make us clean. This is why the lepers, you were required to yell, unclean, unclean, depart from me. This is why the lepers, they recognized that they were in the presence of something great, a word outside of themselves, clothed in flesh. Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. You see, your pledge here at Calvary St. George's is extremely important, because what you're involved involved in is something eternal. Everyone needs to know that God is actually in control, even when it pe- appears like everything's falling apart. Everyone needs to know that in the midst of tragedy and hardship, they are loved and they have been forgiven by God. And everyone, especially in the midst of tragedy and hardship, they need to be touched by God and his amazing grace. Humans we're all wired to be touched from birth until the day we die. Our need to be made clean, our need to be touched by God remains. Remember what St. Augustine once said, our hearts are restless until they ultimately find their rest in thee, O Lord. So, In the following verses, Naaman's might and his valor is contrasted in the Hebrew with the childlike characteristics of the young Hebrew slave girl whom they obviously kidnapped. And now she's working as like the PA of his wife. (laughs) And she graciously, though, she looks upon him, and this is a moment of amazing grace. Loving the unlovable She looks and she says, if only my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Now, a little geography lesson at this time. At this time, the kingdom of Israel is divided into two. You have Israel, Samaria in the north, and you have Judea in the south. And this is before Israel and Samaria go into captivity. So when she references Samaria, she's also referencing Israel. Now, so she says this very, very powerful thing. If only my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria. Now, if I were here, her, I would have kept my mouth shut, you know, and just kept cleaning, you know, maybe when his ear fell off, swept it under the couch, <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know. I might have said, if only I were with the prophet in Samaria instead of this place, Talk about amazing grace. And and the Hebrew here is interesting. What she is conveying is not just like a hangout session of two equals. What she is conveying here is submission. Or in other words, if only this mighty man of self-accomplishment, if only this man who thinks he's standing on his own two feet, if only this New Yorker, would submit before the prophet in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So what happens? Well, next, I mean, if we read the text, is typical of people who rely on their own accomplishments and connections, you know? Naaman calls his boss the king, and uh, you know, the king, he gets into his LinkedIn profile and uh, starts working the angles and the connections, you know, and he's like, I don't know about some weird prophet in the deserts of Samaria, but I do know the king of Israel, and I'm sure he knows someone highly qualified dermatologist, you know, probably went to John Hopkins or Columbia, you know, one of these things. And so, and in verse five and six, which has been cut out of our reading, unfortunately, uh, Naaman arrives in Israel, and he arrives with ten talents of silver. He arrives with six thousand shekels of gold, and he arrives with ten changes of clothes, and a recommendation from King Aram. He is here to sow his seed of faith that prosperity gospel nonsense. He is here to buy God's favor. He is here to earn his blessing. Naaman is prepared to give in order to get. However, what he fails to realize is that the God of Israel, unlike his gods and unlike all of our gods, doesn't have a scratch that needs to be scratched. This is powerful, what's going on here. Because this is an illustration of how we all think we need to relate to God. Better give him something. And what happens is is that this foolishly puts God in your debt, you know. This is why there are so many people in the world that are upset with God. I put seven bucks in the plate and he didn't even hear me. You know, I didn't go with, you know, smoke or chew or go with girls who do, and you still didn't hear my cry. I saw this firsthand when I was in Uganda. The prosperity gospel just ravaged the church. People sowed their seeds of faith big time, and the wife, the child, still died of AIDS. God, the God of Israel, doesn't have an itch that needs to be scratched. and This is a wrong way of relating to God. And you see this through the Old Testament, especially the book of Kings and Chronicles. And one begins to understand the higher the position, like the king, the less they actually understand how God really works. I mean, all 19 kings of Israel in Samaria didn't get it. Judea had 20 and 8 of them sort of did including the king that's mentioned today and so we come back to verse 8 in our text and the text pivots from the king who clearly knows nothing to Elijah the man of God and Elijah says send Naaman to me And when Naaman arrives with his massive entourage, can you stand it? The prophet, the man of God, doesn't submit. As a matter of fact, Elisha doesn't even go out to greet him. Doesn't even show up. Instead, he sends a messenger, AKA a preacher. And that preacher delivers a word from the prophet that has power, the power to heal and change a life. And the messenger says to Nahum, can you imagine Nahum in all of his Syrian splendor? The messenger says, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. Well, Naaman is completely insulted by this. He's indignant. Our reading says that he goes into rage. And I get it, I get it. I've been to the Jordan River, and let me tell you, it is a brown, filthy, unimpressive trickle of a creek. I mean, when I was there, there were like flocks of horse flies attacking us nonstop. We're trying to like talk about John the Baptist, and I just wanted to run back on the bus. I mean, there are no Viking river cruises coming down the Jordan River serving canapé, not at all. And Naaman is indignant because he wants a task worthy of his title, a task worthy of his might and valor, a task worthy of healing. What do you mean there's no sweat lodge? What do you mean there's no crystals in consulting the universe? Elijah, let me take on Paris and rescue Helen of Argos from Troy. This is my second point. Naaman's indignation is the same way we all naturally think about God. We so often think God is demanding big things of us. Let me tell you, he does big things through us, but it's typically through the small things, like ushering or saying hey to someone at the coffee hour. We have to pay God to earn his favor. That's what we think. When in fact, so often, God is at work through us despite ourselves, and he's at work so often through ordinary stuff, like the Jordan, to accomplish cleansing and salvation, like a little tap water from our bathroom over here, a little bread, a little wine, a word. Naaman's servants, though, we read, have an insight, an insight that really only comes about uh, through life. Father, word of endearment, if the prophet had commanded you to do something difficult, it asked you to usher Uh, would you not have done it? How much more when all he said to you was wash and be clean? Or in other words, name and forget your greatness and receive the prophet's great word. And the same is true for us. Forget your greatness forget your identity and receive the one that's been given to you receive the word that has been made flesh for you naaman we read finally dips into the jordan and seven times and he emerges from that dirty river totally clean He emerges from the waters of the Jordan not as a mighty man of valor, but as a young boy. That's literally the Hebrew. His skin's like a young boy. Naaman emerges as a child, as one who submitted to the prophet's word, as one who is submitted to that great word. Remember Jesus, what he says in Mark chapter 10, verses 15? Truly I say to you, Whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. And what we've learned from Naaman today is that it has nothing to do with innocence. But rather, that has everything to do with need. This is about a gracious submission because we need it. This is about recognizing that even on my best days, I need the every hour most gracious Lord. And this is my third point. What the word of the prophet did for Naaman. The word made flesh through the power of the Holy Spirit Jesus Christ continues to do for all of us. You and I by virtue of his work his shed blood for you has been have been cleansed of the leprosy of our sin by the power of the gospel And we come forward to receive, to taste, and to see, and to know that the Lord is good and he's still for us. And your pledge, your participation in this congregation is extremely important. Because like those Samaritan lepers, like even Naaman the Syrian as we read on, we return to the feet of Jesus to give thanks and render our praise to him who called us out of the darkness and into his marvelous light. And while we aren't yet symptom free by any stretch of the matter, the cure of the gospel has been applied to you. The cure of the gospel has been applied right on your heart and you have been joined to the death and life of Jesus. And in joyful response, we join our voices with Naaman, we join our voices with angels and archangels and all of the company of heaven. Now I know that there is no God in all the earth except the God of Israel. And in Jesus, The God of Israel has forgiven you. The God of Israel loves you. The God of Israel has given you all that you need to see you through this age and into the age that is to come. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast produced and recorded at the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of our parish, we would really appreciate it. You can make a one-time or recurring gift by going to calvarystgeorgesorg give. Thank you for your support.